Welcome to Always Authors, the literary podcast that presents two authors in candid conversation. On this episode, we're excited to bring you Solari Gentle, an attorney-turned-award-winning crime fiction writer of the 10-book Roland Sinclair series, as well as the Hero Trilogy under the pen name S.D. Gentle, and most recently, the standalone breakout novel The Woman in the Library. She is joined by fellow Australian Robert Gott, author of 97 books, both fiction and non-fiction, including eight best-selling historical crime fiction novels, the latest of which is The Orchard Murders. In this lively romp, Solari and Robert reveal the ways they injure their characters tastefully, compare how they handle bad reviews, and debunk the myth that Australia is the home of scary, venomous creatures. Inspiration starts now. Uh, hello, I'm Solari Gentle and I'm speaking and I'm with Robert with Gott. My Good old morning, friend. Solari. This has been a long journey. <laughs> it has been a particularly long, treacherous journey <laughs> through the technology. Well, not just the technology. <laughs> I, I uh, am lucky to be here in my house because of the floods. I was up doing a um, tour of libraries in northern Victoria and I got five of them done, and the remaining six suddenly were in a flood zone, and I had uh, to make the decision to just pull the plug and uh, drive home. And if I hadn't, I'd still be up there stuck behind floodwaters. Uh, look, I'm sure readers would have paddled out to see you. <laughs> yeah, as if. <laughs> Can you imagine as if anyone is going to come out in 50 millimetres of rain with 70 kilometer an hour winds to listen to some clown talk about his books in a library. I know. What's happened to our country? We've seemed to have become a bit apocalyptic lately, haven't we? Uh, Fires and floods and goodness knows what. It is a climate emergency, Solari. It is indeed. (laughs) It keeps reminding us and Australia's always been particularly good (laughs) at stamping that. But yeah. the, the reason I mention that is because there is something I want to talk to you about. Um, while I was up there, I went to one of the libraries and I know that every author has had this uh, experience and only one person turned up. And, <laughs> and I say turned up. What I mean is that person was there <laughs> in the library and I was just collaterally there as well. And it would have been fine. She was a woman in her 70s and she was she was a lovely lady, but she was very neurodiverse. <laughs> and, and by neurodiverse, you mean? <clears throat> I mean that, that um, she had an inability to control the volume of her voice. And oh. in a library, that's not ideal. So <laughs> she, was very, she was very shouty. Everything, oh everything was shouted. So she and, broadcast to the entire library that she was the only person there to see you? Yes, that's precisely what happened. <laughs> and you know how dispiriting it is when there are all these chairs lined up? <laughs> and it the is. Tea and, and there's, the a, tea there's and, a funny sort the of guilt, and, isn't there? There's yes. a funny sort of guilt that goes with being a writer where you you feel like if the chairs are empty, you're not just feeling bad for yourself you feel bad for everybody who organized and everybody yeah, i don't feel bad for myself chair. at all no. but 
yes, the you know the tea and coffees laid out, the cakes and biscuits, and there's yeah. just me and a neurodiverse person too. Yeah, you feel like you you didn't deliver. <laughs> I guess nobody well, I mean, came out. I delivered. I turned up, but that's as much as I did. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. It's it's a funny sort of thing. Do you remember when um when we were we were touring the states and we went to one bookshop and there was <clears throat> four of us in the panel and I think there was le- more of us than there was on the in the audience and we we had the and we were saved by the fact that the Uber driver who took us there decided to come in and listen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's right. He he swelled our numbers. <laughs> <laughs> what's the what's the uh, what's the worst public event? Let's not call it a humiliation because it's not humiliating. Oh, it is. It's, it's, it is. Just, Let's not pretend. Oh, is it's it? a, the ritual humiliation of authors. <laughs> <laughs> what's what's your worst one? Um, I I think I had a similar experience in a library in New Zealand. Um, and actually it was worse than one person because it was, uh, it was sort of almost one person. This, this woman came in and she looked around the room and it was full of chairs and empty, but for her, and she just turned around and ran out, ran, ran. <laughs> and just wow. left me standing there. <laughs> We've all had that experience meeting you, Solari. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so tell me, why do we do it? Why, why do we subscribe to this bizarre life? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a very good question, and I do not have an answer. I don't know. Yeah. No, you know, think <laughs> you must have an, you have an answer for everything. Well, it's uh, partly because there's a sense that you know it's partly about branding, I guess, and you feel that. I also do feel a real obligation to people who read my books. Mm. And I'm always astonished when I turn up to a place and there are people there who've read my books. And so, yeah, I guess I feel that, you know. I always feel like like talking to readers is this, um, one, it's kind of a responsibility because, you know, you've spent 10 hours in their heads. Uh, because by virtue of the fact that they've read your book. And and so you've had that privilege of sort of walking through their imaginations, uh, even if you weren't aware of it at the time. But I always feel like talking to someone who's read my work is a little bit like talking to friends of your children. Uh, There's a a special privilege and it also gives you an insight. You know, when, um, when I talk to friends of my sons, it gives me an insight into their lives when, that I'm not party to. Yeah. And in a similar way, when you talk to readers, it gives you an insight into your work that you mightn't have been aware of or that you mightn't have been party to because every reader yeah. brings something in their interpretation and the book is a creation of writer and reader in each each of those experiences. <clears throat> yeah. One of the things I like about small events is that when people turn up, you know, I know that it's the same for you, Solari. We are sick to death of talking about ourselves and sick to death of talking about our books. Yeah. <laughs> when, when, it's a, when it's a small event and you can turn the conversation around, other people's stories are just great, especially in small country towns. People who've lived there. In, mm. uh, there was a, a person I met in um, Oyen, 
I don't know if you've ever been to Oyen. Oyen is pretty small. And um, yeah. there was a person, a, a lady there who'd lived her, it was born there. When you there, say pretty lived, small, what do you mean by pretty small, Robert? A sp- about the size of Batlow. Population of. Oh. About the size of the town I live in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty small. Pretty small. I don't know okay. what the population is. But if I tell you that the library. Okay, the population of Batlow is 1,000 people. Yeah, yeah, about that. Maybe a bit more. Yeah. But the library in that town is actually not a full library. It's a corner of the council offices. So it it uh, it's quite small. But there's a, a lady who was born there and she was in her 70s and she lived her entire life in that one place. And yeah. I think she made and and I think that is incredible. And she had great stories to tell. It was yeah, a rich well, that's the life. Thing. I mean I mean, as much as as much as we laugh about these uh, events that aren't as successful as they might have been uh, mm-hmm. in terms of attendance, every every moment, every person you meet, and every experience, even if it's an experience of oh my gosh, I'm sitting at this event and I'm here on my own, it's yeah. all material and it all feeds into what we write and it all feeds into I think a kind of humility that authors need to have in order to write um, and to write people um, with any justice. Um, the, the funny thing about this whole life is that we all start being complete unknowns and we all will all start with nobody would ever come to see us. Um, and that's well, how we write up this book. Because yeah. we, with, with, we all start with no one is going to publish yeah. my book. Yeah, and, and then after a while that changes and, you know, you, you have people who are interested in your work and people who come to see you and fans and so on. But those events that you do where you go back to being a complete unknown and completely obscure and no one cares, they're really wonderful for grounding your work because it takes you back to remembering that the work is the important thing. Yes, do you still have that um, moment in the writing of a manuscript, I still have it, where you're about halfway through and you think, I am just making this stuff up. <laughs> it takes you to Ooh. halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares? Who's going to read this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I made I, this up. I, um, I always have... I always have this slight moment of embarrassment somewhere in the writing process where I think people will know what goes on in my mind <laughs> because this, this is oh, all yeah. stuff I've made up. They, they'll know. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and you have to work through that. So I think part yeah. of the skill of being an author is working through that embarrassment of people will know who you really are. Well, that's uh, right. this, is why, this is why I never put sex scenes in my novels. Because I 100% know that all of my friends are going to read that and they're just going to think, seriously? This is what, this is <laughs> but what you think? they're still thinking seriously by you, the fact that there are no sex things in your novels, Robert. No, no. <laughs> they're just thinking seriously for different reasons, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 a <laughs> it's an it's an interesting process. I mean, I, th- I suppose partly because so much of what we do, we do alone, and then we have the moments of intense collision with other people, where we're talking, expressing, and gathering 
material. Yeah. <laughs> and then we trot off back to our little uh, holes to write again. Um, and it's kind of a bizarre way to live when you think about it. <laughs> I also worry, I don't worry, but um, it is a risk, isn't it, when you're writing a character who is deeply, deeply unpleasant, like seriously deeply unpleasant and who is making utterances that are deeply unpleasant. It's always a, a worry in the back of my mind that are there going to be readers who are going to think that somehow this character and I share the same points of view? Do you yeah. have that nervousness when you're, when you're creating a character who's really, really... You know, oh look, and it ha it happens space. because I mean this, and and you know, um, recently with the woman <clears> in the library, I have a character who who is is the bad guy essentially in the book, but it takes a little while for it to be clear that he is the the villain of the piece, and and I and I know I have had readers who've stopped reading halfway because of something that he has said has offended yeah. them. Um, right. And I'm not there to say, hey, he's not the good guy. <laughs> also. <laughs> he's supposed to say things that are bad. <laughs> also, this is fiction. I know. I know. But, I mean, like, you know, it's people, people, and because it's fiction, because it's not something that people need, it's not something that people are going to die without, they can choose. Yeah. They can choose how they want to spend those hours. Yeah. Um, it's just that sometimes, I mean, bad guys have got to say deeply unpleasant or bad, you know, bad guys in terms of the villain um, yeah. have got to say deeply unpleasant, offensive, um, un-PC things um, yeah. from time to time. And it doesn't actually mean that that's what the author thinks. But I think most readers understand that. Every now and then you get someone who is... Uh, who will harangue you for something that your villain said? <laughs> and all I can say is, he's a villain, <laughs> a villain. <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, I I get pulled up occasionally at at events when people say, you know, what is going on inside your head? Because a lot of uh, there's, I acknowledge that there's a bit of violence in some of my novels. A there lot are, of violence. <laughs> well, there's there's a high corpse count. Yeah, there's a high corpse count, and, and there's, there's some fairly there's some fairly imaginative ways of dispatching people in the in the <laughs> the holiday murders series. <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is true. However, it's just the 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 technical process of writing that stuff kind of takes all of the I don't know the squeamishness out of it, and it's really yeah. odd because I can't bear violence in films i can't watch it i have to look away i'm really squeamish anything more psychopathic than a paper cut can't watch it yeah look i'm with films I, i'm i'm okay with violence as long as it's integral to the story i really no, I have no time for those those films that seem to be car chase violence, car chase violence, and there's no purpose to it. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's it's just, you know, faceless people being beaten up um, yeah. or nameless people being beaten up uh, for the sake of demonstrating that. And I'm, I think I'm the same way with my novels, but I'm not judgmental about that. I know there's some people that love graphic action um, and violence, and I think, 
I, I'm not in any position to judge whatever. No, you you certainly beat up your character Roland Sinclair. But only he, Roland. He, <laughs> yeah, but only Roland, only Roland. But he doesn't come out of, how many in that series now? Are there eight, nine? nine? Ten, 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 ten. Ten, ten. Are you, writing number, are you writing number 11 now? I'm writing number 11. Um, uh, this, yes, yes, now. Yes. I'm, I'm about halfway through uh, yeah. number 11, but I'm taking my time. I'm strolling through this one because I'm editing another yeah. standalone. Uh, yeah, at this point, uh, right. But at the end of every single Roland Sinclair novel, all ten of them, that man has been beaten so badly. <laughs> <laughs> His body well, must just just be a, a relief map of scar tissue. No, no, no. Because <laughs> I'm very careful about how I injure him. To <laughs> <laughs> because I'm realistic. You know, he has normal recovery times, and I have a friend who's a doctor. We have a mutual friend who's a doctor, and I and I get in touch with him whenever I need to actually inflict harm on people right, to make right. sure that I am aware of the actual medical consequences of what I'm doing. Right, right. <laughs> You're really up to speed on wound recovery times. I am. <laughs> and and I, I know where you can stab a person so that they can still run. <laughs> Uh, that, that sort of thing, Good but it's know. um, but Good you know, know. It's, it's a funny thing with the Roland Sinclair series, it's mainly Roland that takes the hits, and yes, that's because he's kind of your classic hero figure. And I, I have this feeling that if his friends or the people around him, his family started taking the hits instead of him, he'd stop, he'd just stop okay. running off investigating murders, yeah. Uh, yeah. whilst he's taking the hits himself. He's willing to persevere, but he wouldn't stand for anyone else uh, to take that kind of damage. Right. So, so that's where I have to walk with him because that's the kind of character he is. Um, where you know, where if his you know if his brother or his um, friends were in danger um, because of what he was doing, he'd just stop doing what he was doing. Mm. Um, so you've got to sort of. Um, stay to the, true to the character in that sense. Yeah. Now we our writing process is very similar up to a point. Um, mm. In in that neither one of us plans. No. We just sit down and start writing and go forward. And, yes. We, and we call and it a technique, but it could be just that we're lazy. Oh, I'm happy to put my hand up for lazy and dilettantish. I write. <laughs> I don't, I'm very ill-disciplined when it comes to writing. I, I meet all deadlines, but I don't sit at my desk at 8 a.m. and get up at midday. I tend to write accidentally in increments. Yeah. So, And because I write in longhand, I can take a notebook to a cafe and you know write for half an hour here, half an hour there. But it's very rare that I will sit at my desk at home and write for two or three hours nonstop. That's really rare. Well, my, my desk at home is only for doing tax. Uh, as you know, I, I write in my pyjamas in bed or in cafes. And I do the same thing. I don't <laughs> write long. I have a laptop. Yeah. Those strange inventions that you're unaware of as yet, laptop, <laughs> can pick it up and take it with you. You know I'm a fountain, you know I'm a fountain pen guy. I know you like the image of fountain pens. I love fountain <laughs> and, pens. Uh, I love they fountain are pens. they are beautiful. 
Look, yeah. I, I find I have a problem with the pens in that I can't write as fast as I can type. Yeah, it's under reverse. I think, complete reverse. Yes, I think really <clears throat> when it's going, I've got to go at speed to capture it, or I lose it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so because I I can touch type quite quickly, it's a lot easier for me to write typing than to write longhand because it I, I would still be I'd be thinking about sentence two and I'd still be writing sentence one. Right, right. Um, I'm just a complete wrong. reverse. Complete reverse. Yeah, okay. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I can't touch type. Um, I'm a, you know, two finger typist yep. and that sort of clackety clack motion seems incompatible to my thinking because yep. I'm just not fast enough, just not um, fast enough. Yeah. But so it um, I enjoy that process and I love, and I know you do too, I actually love writing. I love I sitting down and writing i love writing a sentence sentences yeah oh look my, my husband will tell you that i'm really um cantankerous unless i've written yeah for, for me it's something like breathing out during the day um yeah. and and you know there are times in my life where i can't write i'm just too busy and yeah. i get progressively more cantankerous i need that time with words just to play with words um to to settle me and make yeah. me able to be nice to people. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, can and you can you write when you're away on tour, for example? Like you, you've got I'm a big... better. I'm better when I'm away. You know, when oh. I'm with, um, it's it's quite amazing. You know, we went with this. We went on that tour of the US. Yes. Um, just in, before the pandemic. Just before the pandemic. Um, yeah. And I just wanted to write all the time and yeah. I was and we, we were writing articles to send home yes. uh, but I was really aware of this surge of wanting to write and part of that was because <coughs> we were traveling together as a group of four writers and there's nothing that I find as inspiring as being with other people who write and yeah. bouncing ideas and having those kind of conversations yeah. and then Every time, and and I suppose the, the other thing about the tour is because you're traveling so closely with four people and there's a certain introvertedness about every writer, every now and then you need to pull back and go into your own head, um, even on tour. So yeah. I'm just about to go on a tour <clears throat> of the US next week. And how, big is that? How, big is, how big is that tour? Where are you going? Uh, where well, I'm starting off in Arizona. I have six days in Arizona as the writer in residence, and then I'm moving to. Then we go to Chicago, Boston, uh, New York, uh, Washington, and wow. then um, yeah, and then I'm flying to the UK to really to meet my sister, and we'll head down to Paris and get on the Orient Express the because. Way you do. Well, it's a crime writer's mecca, the Orient Express. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm take I'm lugging my laptop the whole way because yeah. I fully expect to not only want to write but to need to write. Yeah, yeah. I, I love writing when I'm away uh, as well. Absolutely love it. Yeah, and and I, I love yeah. I love writing in the midst of mayhem. So I started writing when my boys were little. So yeah. they're, they're older now, but they were toddlers, basically, when I started uh, writing. And 
so I kind of learnt my craft in the midst of mayhem and it feels the most natural way to write for me yeah. now that the world is going on and going insane around me and I write um, and it seems to be the way it should be. <laughs> it's odd. If I'm home, I have to have complete silence to write. No music, no sound, nothing. But I love writing in busy, noisy cafes. So when did it's, you start, Robert? When did I start writing? When did you start writing? Because um, I know you've been in the game a lot longer than I have. I started writing when I was a teenager. Yeah, I started oh, writing okay. as a teenager. And did you start but... writing with the idea of being published as a teenager? No, or no, no, no. I used to just write, I just write, wrote little entertain, things to entertain myself and, and my friends. It was kind of weird. I would write, when I was a teenager, I'd just write a few pages of something and hand it around and trying to make people laugh. Really? Yeah, <laughs> that I is know. weird. <laughs> you, you hung out with a weird set of people. <laughs> I can just imagine and then, and then, saying that to my teenagers, teenagers, write something and hand it around to your friends. <laughs> I suppose in retrospect it was peculiar, but, you know, they were indulgent. They'd read it <laughs> and laugh. So it was partly just because I it love doing it. And then it we sounds need to like teach a you. character from a movie, one of those, you know, Stand By Me movies. There's oh, little does. Bobby Bot and he's got his few pages that he's handing out to his friends. <laughs> that, that, makes it, that makes it sound sad. It wasn't. It was entertaining. <laughs> it was like... It was like it was like a little bit of stand-up without actually standing up. You'd just hand around the hand the paper and say, do you think this is funny? And they'd read it. Oh, okay. So you tested yeah. them. So did, did they <laughs> still have it or did you oh, have to? No, no. This was way before computers and it was usually in longhand. So yeah. I'd hand it, hand it around. They'd read it. They'd laugh. And it was, you just little stories. They, were, they might have only been two or 300 words long and they were simply designed to make people laugh. Here are two brief messages from our sponsors. Hi, I'm Carrie Mayer, author of the national best-selling book, The Paris Bookseller. So I'm not just a writer, I'm an avid reader. And since Always Authors is sponsored by Bookfinity, I wanted to tell you a little bit more about it. Bookfinity is a website that is built by readers for readers. So you can get personalized book recommendations, create and share your book lists, review books, and refer friends to earn rewards. You start by taking a quick quiz to discover your reader type. And once you complete the quiz, you'll be taken to your My Bookfinity account. I took the quiz and got my reader type. I am a heroin addict, which is so accurate because I do love strong female leads. Now, when I log into my Bookfinity account, I will get personalized book recommendations based on my reader type. Bookfinity also has a like it or lose it function, so I can quickly like the books that I'm interested in or lose the ones that I'm not. And it has a unique review system that goes beyond a star rating. I love that I can review a book based on how it made me feel and recommend it to others. To get started, visit bookfinity.com and take the reader type quiz and create your personalized account today. Buxton Books is proud to be a season sponsor of the Always Authors podcast. Buxton Books is located in downtown Charleston, South Carolina on King Street. And we are a full-service, independent bookstore that also specializes in presenting one-of-a-kind literary events. 
Please come visit us in Charleston or online at BuxtonBooks.com to purchase books and to receive our newsletter for information on events and booksellers' recommendations. We ship anywhere in the United States and internationally. Happy reading from Buxton Books. So when, when I was a teenager, I used to um, I used to write plays with a friend of mine. And the reason was not because we either wanted to write, it's because we wanted to act. And we always found that the the parts always went to the sort of perky blonde girls in our school plays. And Leith was this tall, freckled redhead, and I was this small, brown, <laughs> chubby, <laughs> chubby teenager. And so we started writing plays that had parts for tall, freckled redheads and small, brown, chubby teenagers. <laughs> wow. and, uh, and we'd perform them on stage, but we used to write them on the scraps of anything. So they were on the backs of shopping lists and they were always, we never ever even had them together in a consolidated <clears throat> notebook. So act one would be on the back of homework and act two would be, you know, on the on the back of a pamphlet we'd picked up somewhere and act three would be in someone's maths book. And then we'd perform it. So there's no actual record of any of those plays that we so did. So you would, you would perform it? We performed it, yeah. We performed it. Uh, we had uh, talent quests and stuff. You know, in the I went to a big school and they uh -huh. had talent quests and we just commandeer the stage. And I think our first production was called Rodeo Romeo and it was like a, a Western version of Romeo and Juliet, uh, all in the space of 18 minutes, the whole story. Uh, <laughs> and is that, and then, is, that, is that lost so, in history now? It's lost. We we remember snippets of it because we learnt it to perform yeah. it. But there's of course we're old now, so we've lost a lot of it because our 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 brains are aged. Um, <laughs> but there's no actual record of of what the play was because it was all written on scraps and pieces and stuff and we just pulled it together and learnt it at the time. So it was never consolidated. It was the days before computers yeah. and Nobody had a typewriter, so it was all just scrawled on things. Um, so it's been lost to time. Did the red-headed girl grow up to be a writer? Uh, she could be if she wanted to. No, she's actually a, a doctor of psychology. <clears throat> All right. uh, so that's uh, that's Dr. Dr. Leith Baird, who was featured in, um, in my fiction in The Woman in the Library. Not The Woman uh, in the Library, even after she wrote him. Uh, yeah, there was yeah. a character, Leith Henry. Um, oh, and, yeah, there was too. Yeah, so that's, that's the, re the real Leith Henry is my childhood friend oh. <laughs> who I began this whole journey with. But, you know, and, and it was never never about wanting to be writers. It was about wanting to be on the stage <laughs> <laughs> and never getting the parts that we wanted or that we thought we deserved. <laughs> no, right. no, I never wanted to be on the stage ever, not ever. But I did want to. I did want to be a writer, and I knew that I wanted to write fiction. But I actually started out writing nonfiction because that's where the income was. I was teaching, and I was teaching high school English and English literature, and kind of just fell into nonfiction writing by submitting a manuscript with a friend to a publisher for a nonfiction book, and they took it up. And then once that got published, and it did okay they started commissioning non-fiction work. And that suddenly, suddenly, in the days when, before the internet, when libraries, school libraries and public libraries bought books 
for children to use in projects, like a, a, a colourful book on Southeast Asia or something, if they're set a project, they'd go to the library, they'd borrow the book that I'd written on Southeast Asia. Um, but that, that school, school libraries don't do that. They I don't probably buy that borrowed anymore. that book. <laughs> <laughs> you probably did. Um, so then I did a lot of those, but then um, it, that's really just to pay the bills and I really wanted to write fiction and so that's how I came to write my first uh, fiction. And it is true, it's dispiriting. I know this is going to sound dispiriting to new writers, but I think you agree with me that sometimes getting that first novel published is down to a mixture of luck and even who you know. Would oh, you, do you exactly. Think that that's it's, true. It's a huge amount of the stars aligning um, yeah. and get to get that novel published. Yeah. There's, you know, there's, there's lots of wonderful manuscripts in drawers that will never see the light of day through no yeah. fault of their own. And it's just because the stars didn't happen to align for them. Sometimes the stars align immediately. Sometimes it takes 10 years, 20 years for the stars to align. Yeah. And by that yeah. time, often people have dropped off. So a lot of this, this game is about persistence and perseverance mm. um, as you wait for the stars to catch up uh with with what you intend but yeah no 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 I couldn't I couldn't agree more as you know I mean like I I came from a family I'm from a southeast Asian immigrant family and there was only three occupations as far as my parents were concerned you could be a doctor a lawyer or an engineer and that was it so it never even occurred to me to think about <clears throat> literature or writing, it was that was just not on the cards. It would be like saying, "Oh well, I want to be a rock star." It's all yeah. very well, but not very practical. So, as you know, I was a lawyer for a lot of years before I started writing, um, and it was—I mean, for me, it was a lot of who do you think you are, getting over the who do you think you are factor of wanting to write a novel. Um, and when I got past that, then um, the it, writing very was very clearly um, all I wanted to do. Yeah. And so I went well, down my legal practice. And what was your first novel? My first novel was um, A Few Right Thinking Men. Wow. Which in the US I think is called A House Divided. Right. Um, and it was, you know, it was... I, I, and I sent it out. And again, it was the stars aligning for me because at the time I wrote it, it just so happened that Australian publishers were, for the first time, becoming interested in Australian history as, yeah. as, a, as a fictional backdrop. <laughs> uh, whereas for a long time, it would have been very, very difficult. Um, and as I sent it out, I mean, everybody, I, and, you know, initially I sent it out to agents. I've been resoundingly rejected by every agent in Australia and a few in New Zealand and the US as well. <laughs> so, um, and, but because I've come from the law, a lot of the law is about finding alternate routes to do what you want. So when I was faced with, okay, I can't get an agent, most people, most writers at that time keep on trying to get an agent. They go back with different manuscripts. Um, 
And I thought, well, I'll just send it directly to publishers. Why can't I just bypass that loop? And I didn't realise that that was an audacious thing until I did it, until afterwards, until after I was a writer. So I sent it directly to publishers, but because the stars were aligning, every publisher I sent it to wanted it. Um, and then I was in this wonderful position of being able to choose uh, who I yeah, wanted to I mean, go that, with. That's really freakish because now that they don't even accept unsolicited manuscripts. Yeah, so the, 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 the industry <clears> seems <throat> to go fashion. They accept unsolicited, they don't accept, they accept. Yeah. Uh, I always sort of, I, I kind of believe that if you can get your manuscript in front of someone, if it is a manuscript that's good, they're not going to care whether they're accepting unsolicited manuscripts or not if they have come across something that yeah, they want it's, to it's, Yeah, that, that's true, but it's just getting someone to read it, of course. Yeah, and yeah. Then, and then the next step is to, to end up at a publisher who is the kind of publisher who is willing to nurture a new writer. And that seems to me to be becoming rarer and rarer and rarer. You go into bookshops now and on the, on the, you know, the, the new release table at the front of bookshops, so many of those books are debut authors mm. and they will probably, in most cases, never write a second novel. Yeah, or will not. Well, they may write it, but it won't But get. It, we won't get published because unless that novel now does reasonably well, the publisher will just um, not republish them, which is really brutal. Whereas it both is. you and I, me especially, I think, fell into the arms of a publisher who cared about nurturing writers. And I've been with the same publisher since 2005. And that's yeah. probably pretty rare now. Because yeah, yeah. Look, yeah. I think I this, we we were both with we were both we were both with small publishers, uh, small independents, and I think the small independents are much more. They don't have the expectations of in immediate blockbuster that the big no. guys do, no. and so they're willing to <clears throat> let your your reputation and your your skills catch up with that yeah. expectation. Yeah. Um, I still want you to sell. Um, of course, you've got to make you've got to make them a profit. They're not Yes. You know, yes, not but they don't they don't expect that immediate bestseller status no. in order to get a second book. No, it's a um, slow build. Yeah, it's a slow build. But then, you know, I'm now with a, a large American publisher. That's and, is that source, source books? Yes, and I'm yep. feeling um, I'm feeling more nurtured than I ever have in my career. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I don't, I think, I think it's like a lot of things. It's your, your relationships with people. So I think sometimes large publishers can, can seem like they're not nurturing or they don't care because simply by the fact that they're large, you don't have connections with people um, in the same way that you do with a small publisher. Yeah. Um, so maybe maybe that's the difference um, because it's, you know, this, and I've always said this to you, that it's actually making contact with human beings in any industry, whether it be publishing or law or business or anything like that. It's those, it's those connections with human beings that actually uh, mean something in the end and actually have effect in the end. How do you, this is a, this is a non sequitur, how, how, 
how do you cope with the odd bad review that you might get? Oh, look, in the uh, you're toughen over the years. Yep. Um, so back back with your first book, uh, uh, this a bad review makes you feel embarrassed and mortified, and it makes you want to hide, and it it makes you feel like the world is laughing at you, and it's back to that old who do you think you are trying to write a novel feeling again. Yeah. Yeah. As you are in the business longer, the the wonderful thing is that you uh, you are bound to get bad reviews because no book is for everyone, <clears throat> and so there will always be people who don't like your book, and and you and the simple fact of experiencing that, experiencing that the same book can make a person adore you and be your fan for life can also repulse other people. Uh, you just become a little bit um, uh, enamoured or not this inured to it and a little yeah. bit um, uh, thicker um, in terms of skin. You, you always, I always uh, tell new writers, have one person uh, who you can trust that you can ring when you get a bad review and sit there and, you know, wish bad things on that reviewer for half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> to get it out of your system and then yeah, yeah, never yeah. say another word about it yeah. um, as, as, as long as you live. <laughs> so, um, my, my policy has always been that the other person is always insane. <laughs> indeed, indeed. I and, think that's a, it's a, good rule of, it's a good rule of thumb. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> and it's, but, you know, it's, it's one of the, the funny things about this profession is I don't know a single author who sets out to write a bad book. We're all doing the best we can to deliver the best book we possibly can. And sometimes for some readers that doesn't work. Um, and so, you know, this, and, and the funny thing about this profession is that we are, are putting everything of ourselves into our work and then the nature of the profession is then we put that work up and we say to the world, take your best shot and I won't yeah. hit back. It's, <laughs> it's so strange, isn't it? Because you do yeah. put a book out and then this stranger will yeah. maybe, you know, attack it ruthlessly. Think, who the hell are you? <laughs> who are you? This is not <laughs> someone you will ever have around for dinner. And, yes, you must... <laughs> You must never engage. You must there never so... see it. And, and, and no. you've got to remember that they're entitled. They're entitled to hate your book. Occasionally you get a, an odd review where the reviewer hates you, like, for writing the book. And they're the yeah. only ones that disturb me a little bit. You, uh, the, because, as I said, none of us ever sets out to disappoint. If no. we have disappointed you as a reader, it's not because we meant to. We were honestly trying to entertain to give you something that said something with insight and and beauty. That's what we we're yeah. honestly trying to do. But we're humans. And occasionally we don't, you know, what we're, we set out to do doesn't work for everyone. Yeah. Um, but, it, yeah, it's, 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 it's just one of those funny things. But every, every now and then you get a reviewer that 
seems to be absolutely offended by the fact that you wrote the book in the first place. Yeah. This, uh, is, this because... is where the other person's always insane comes in. <laughs> I mean, because that, that is, that is a, a kind of bizarre thing to feel. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's, it, yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting. I was, I was speaking to my uh, husband about this the other day because he, uh, <clears throat> he doesn't understand how we do it. You know, he doesn't understand why we do it, why we wouldn't. Well, why you would set, you, set yourself up to be shot down. Yeah. And yeah. it's because we're not setting ourselves up to be shot down. We're setting oh. ourselves up for the readers who understand what we write, who, you know, that's who we're yeah. trying to talk to, the ones who get something out of our work um, yeah. and who love it and who it changes their life. Or even if it doesn't change their life, it just makes them laugh and forget yeah. their trouble for a while. Yeah. That's what we're trying to do. And in order to reach those people, there's also going to, you're also going to, um, Reach people for whom your book is not appropriate. Oh, you know, yeah. as I've always all, all yeah. you, there's yeah. some you know man booker winners that I hate the the whose books I hate, um, and you know there's books that have been lauded and uh, and given many prizes that I haven't enjoyed. So for every book, there are are people who will love it and people who just mm. won't. And yeah. part of growing yeah. up in this life in this writer's life is just to learn to accept and deal. And the key thing is not to engage so often when an author gets involved with <gasps> yeah. attacking a reviewer, it ends so badly, especially for oh, the author, because exactly. the, the author comes across as petty and churlish and, and insane and yeah. wounded. And, and I just let know, it go. Is, the thing is we have this very great privilege <clears throat> doing what we do. In this crazy world where people are at war and people are starving and people are homeless, we have somehow got into the good luck to be in a position where we can sit around making things up yeah, yeah. Uh, and sending it out into the world. And I think part of the, uh, the pay for that is that you also have to accept that sometimes... Um, uh, people aren't going to like what you do or people yeah, people yeah. aren't going to necessarily be kind and it's not it's not a big price to pay no. um so and i think when you do get to back, do you do get to do wonderful things like we we, we got to tour america and meet um, american readers which we had they were fantastic yeah. uh, it was it was wonderful wonderful but there is yeah. one thing I discovered. Now, you've heard this already, Solari, but I, I know that some, a lot of Americans might be listening to this podcast. They need to know that Australia does not have the deadliest creatures in the world. I know Americans think... <laughs> you, oh, <laughs> this you, again. You, yes, you come to Australia, you're going to be eaten by sharks, you're going to be taken by a crocodile, you're going to be killed by a spider or a snake or something. We discovered, you might. Solari, we, we, you might. But Are we, you, yeah. You're we discovered, <laughs> we discovered that the most dangerous animal I've ever come across is the squirrel. And it's the squirrel because at the Grand Canyon, there are signs up saying, do not pat the squirrels. They transmit plague. That's right. Plague. Plague. <laughs> Australia doesn't have plague. Australia doesn't have rabies. There's you know, no I, rabies I, in this country. 
I I memorialized that in the woman in the library. I had a character who was bitten by a squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> when I saw that sign, that I thought, you, Robert, "What for you?" <laughs> well, we don't have squirrels either. <laughs> no, no, they're cute though. I remember they're seeing cute. them. They're cute. They're yeah. cute, but you know, they give you the plague. <laughs> <laughs> But Would apart you... from that, that tour of America was really wonderful because Americans, uh, when they come to things, they are so generous, aren't they? Yep, absolutely. They are so generous. Most generous people in the world, actually. Uh, yeah. They have a, a wonderful openness about, yeah. about them. They're willing to look at everything that's new and accept new ideas. And, you know, they may not agree with it in the end, but... no. They're willing to to look at it with an open heart. I, I found that yeah. tour was amazing um, yeah. in that yeah. sense. But the other yeah. the other really cool part of the tour is there was four crime writers in a car yeah. uh, up the west coast <laughs> of America, uh, only one of whom seemed to be able to drive properly. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, um, he's so, he was yeah. Well, you know they are they do drive on the wrong side of the road. I know, I know, well, that, and I didn't realise. I, I feel bad because I didn't realise the whole time how tense Jock was. Yeah, he was very, very tense. Yeah, I, you know, when yeah. he said, oh, I'll drive, I said, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and then he drove for the rest of the time, but I didn't realise the level of concentration that he needed uh, to remain and, on the and, other side of the road. And I was the navigator, so that didn't help. Yeah, that didn't help at all. <laughs> So he not only had to drive on the wrong side of the road, he had to contend with you navigating. And, I, yeah, and I've got no sense of direction, none. No. <laughs> so, yeah, look, it's amazing we're not still in America wandering, <laughs> driving. Well, it is it. amazing, yeah. So it was a lovely trip with the fear of death thrown in. Yeah. Look, and, and you know, it's and it's in, aside from all of that, I think we have this amazing privilege to be able to talk to people in the privacy of their own minds. Yeah. Um, and so we can actually have conversations about the kind of issues that people normally get their backs up about in public and, yeah. and, and take positions and will not listen to the other side. Uh, but because we're presenting it in story and in fiction and we and they are thinking about it in the privacy of their own minds, I think uh, fiction writers in particular had this wonderful privilege of having these conversations uh, in a way that's non-combative and yeah. in the way that, you know, uh, may actually reach out and bring people closer to understanding um, than simply lecturing them. And Slurry, isn't it strangely thrilling when you see a stranger somewhere reading one of your books? I've never had that. <laughs> <laughs> never, never. I have, you know, believe me, every time I walk onto a plane or onto a bus, I check out what everyone's reading, hoping, <laughs> hoping that someone has my book, but it's never happened. One day I was on a train and I was just speaking to the lady next <clears> to me. Um, this and it was one of those long uh, train to Melbourne, so it was about four hours long, and we're just chatting, and uh, and she asked me what I did, and I said I was a writer, and she turned around, and she looked hard at me, and she said, "Oh my God, you're not Solari Gendel, are you?" And then she opened her Kindle, and it was full of my books. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, but that's not the same as walking past a stranger who has your book. 
and is not you know has no connection with you and I've I, I've 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 been longing for that experience but <laughs> 10 years in I've not had it yet it rarely happens I have to say but so have you it had does, it happen? yeah when it happen? it, well it happened do you remember it happened in America at that bookstore oh, there was a yes. there was a lady sitting in the corner and she was reading a copy. I think it was The Holiday Murders, maybe. Yeah. And yeah, I yeah. was so astonished. I did that awful thing and took a surreptitious <laughs> and, and And the funny thing was she, she wasn't there to see, see us. No, she wasn't there to see the – she didn't come yeah. to the show. No, Probably she because she started reading, But maybe because she started reading my book and thought, I'm not going to go and listen to that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> He's crazy. He's crazy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just. <laughs> are they it's, are they really working you hard in America when you? They are. They are. Well, look, I don't actually think of it as work. So it's, but I, I am getting a lot of uh, doing a lot of things. So on this yep. tour, it's jam packed. <clears throat> um, you know, every day different several different things yeah. uh which is lovely um and i i actually like working i i actually like working holidays because it makes me feel like i've got something to do i'm not very good at relaxing yeah i'm not very yeah. good at just doing nothing um so this gives me a structured way to experience america again we did the west coast when we were there last so this is the east coast yeah. Um, and and that will be fabulous. I was just talking to my publicist this morning and we have a visit to the Boston Public Library. It's not an event. It's just a visit so that I can yeah. go and have <laughs> actually, a Actually see it. Yeah. And she said, we know we can run in, scream and run out again. <laughs> <See what happens. laughs> and so, you know, I may be arrested in Boston, but who knows? <laughs> but, um, but that's, yeah, look, that's, that's all been fabulous. It's been, you know, I know I've been talking to you about what makes a book break out. Yeah. Because we've that is, a, that is mysterious. That's mysterious. It is mysterious, but you know, <clears throat> Um, you know, in relation to what we were talking about in before with negative reviews and so on, yeah. I think, you know, this, I think part of what makes a book really work in the, in the same <clears throat> is, is that you need that contingent of people who don't like it because it keeps the conversation going. Yeah. So, you know, when you have a book club and yep. everybody likes the book, the conversation is over in five minutes and you all go on to wine and cheese because, yeah, yeah, that's, loved it, loved it. That's true. But when when you have two or three people in the book club who hated it, the argument goes on all night I and know. the conversation and you, Yeah. And then you run the risk that, you know, you start to, to think that person who you used to like yeah. is an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, so I think uh, the woman in the library has hit that right note of, um, because it's because it's got a different structure to um, most books, and it's kind of yeah. a little bit quirky in that sense. That it really relates to a lot of people, luckily, yeah. but there are also a lot of people who don't like it. Uh, but it's also it's also a bloody good book. Well, thank you. <laughs> but, but yeah, so so for some reason, uh, the woman in the library has exploded in a way that 
uh, my other books haven't um, yeah. or, or are yet to. Let's be optimistic in a way that my other books are yet to. <laughs> um, so it's, and, you know, we've all been, we all work for that. We're all optimists. I know you like to think you're a pessimist, but we're all optimists at heart. Um, and so we go into this game hoping that we we write that breakout novel at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but not really knowing what makes a novel a breakout <laughs> novel. It's this mysterious, yeah. bizarre thing. <laughs> I don't think I'm a pessimist. I think I'm a rational misanthrope. Because okay. I, think, I think that um, I've accused you in the past of being exhaustingly optimistic. <laughs> but, um, relentlessly, I, I think. <laughs> or relentlessly optimistic. Well, also exhaustingly. But I think it's perfectly reasonable to understand that most people are absolutely frightful. <laughs> 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 okay. <laughs> Robert's opinions are his own. <laughs> um, I think, um, yeah. Look, this I admit I am I am an optimist, yeah. but not I think an idiot optimist. Um, yeah. I just I, I just have always believed that. Um, a lot of what happens is can be dependent on the attitude or the belief that you have when going in. So yeah, I yeah, choose yeah. to believe the best case scenario <laughs> on every occasion. Yeah. And I'm a good bouncer. I'm a good, yeah. I, I'm very good at bouncing from dis disappointment. So being an optimist isn't going to break me. Uh, being an optimist is only problematic if the dis disappointment kills you. So I'm guessing that you don't do what I do on an aircraft, for example. When I'm on, an air, on a trip on an aeroplane and I walk up and down the aisles, I'm thinking, are these the people I want to die with? <laughs> <laughs> and the answer's always, no. I don't. No. I I get on a plane and I go to sleep. <laughs> Just, yeah. I have, uh, and, you know, I used to think it was, I couldn't understand why being on the plane made me sleep. I was, I was one of those people that even with a half-hour flight, I could sleep right through the half-hour flight, right. which makes air travel really good for me because I don't notice any of it. I go to sleep yeah. as soon as I get on the plane. I wake up as I get yeah. off. Uh, but apparently it's to do with the change in pressure. And if All you've right. got a naturally low blood pressure, not low blood pressure as being problematic yeah, 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 lower yeah, blood yeah, pressure yeah. planes put you to sleep right well, they uh, don't put um, me to sleep i'm too busy thinking if this plane you're goes too busy down spilling over wine i've traveled with you robert you're I, too I just, busy making a huge I, mess <laughs> that, that is true i do spill things <laughs> but, but i'm also calculating if this plane goes down over water and i'm in an open boat i'm thinking i know that guy over there is not going to share his water i just know looking at him he's going to he's going to drink all the water I just, just know that okay <laughs> <laughs> so do you ask for a seat change or do you try to no 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 no, no. so when are you leaving i'm i'm this uh flying to sydney on monday 
as you yep. know, no nothing flies out of Batlow. So I'm no, going to see only birds. <laughs> yeah. And then on Tuesday morning, first thing, I take off for Arizona. Excellent. And uh, I will be there technically on the same day our time, but yeah. it'll be tomorrow. It'll be yeah. Wednesday um, yeah. in Australia when I arrive. Yeah. Um, and then I'm there until the Sunday, which will be absolutely fabulous. Um, as you know, um, Poison Pen Press were my first publishers yes. in the US. Yes, yes. So the Poison Pen Bookstore is something that's very close to my heart. And, yeah. Um, the, we, did a, we did an appearance there, didn't we? We did, and we had a wonderful yeah. dinner. Was, with, oh, we had uh, a wonderful Barbara dinner, Robert. yeah. It's great. Yeah. And, and you know, I always have this, um, I love Arizona. It, to me, when, when I was a child, I was, I was growing up in Zambia. My parents were there for, well, we were there as a family for five years. And my sister and I shared a room which had two big wardrobes. So we were each given a, our own wardrobe as a cubby house. And my mother <clears> had got <throat> a picture from somewhere and she'd stuck it up in each of our wardrobes to, you know, to do with our personality. And I think my, my older sister's was princessy stuff. Mm -hmm. But in my wardrobe, there was Roy, the cowboy, and he was from Arizona. <laughs> and he had one of those big um, uh, cacti. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so every time, and I loved him, you know, and I, you know, I wore a, a cowboy outfit for about four years and nothing else <laughs> when I was a child. So every time I go back to Arizona, it brings that back. Um, and uh, and I, I have these sort of warm feelings that are rooted in history and my own personal history that have nothing to do with actual Arizona, but <laughs> I can't help uh, yeah. by, but being really warmed uh, yeah. by it. Yeah, yeah. Well, those cacti, as we discovered, those cacti are incredible. They're amazing. And they really old. Amazing. Yeah, hundreds of years old. Yeah, so yeah, I, I always said it's that cacti were like, you know, prickly pears here. They grew up overnight. Yeah. But they're, they're no. you know, ancient, it's, it's, uh, ancient yeah, things. Yeah. Uh, well, I think you should have a, you will have a lovely time. I can't wait to hear about the Orient Express because that to me just seems like an extraordinary thing. You know, though, I think I will miss you guys. It's, um, I was, I was thinking as I was packing, it was, um, I feel a little bit more nervous going on my own when we were packing to go in 2019 and there was the four of us. I always yeah. thought, well, if I forget something, one of the others will have it. Yes. <laughs> and, and it's okay. We'll, we'll be yeah. able to cope. Um, so it, does it does yeah i think i think i will i will really miss you guys on this trip i'll be thinking well, of you swatting around america and on the origin <laughs> <laughs> well i'll be thinking of you too but with with just naked um envy i think oh well that's good that makes that's me feel good, good. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we should probably wind up this rambling conversation <laughs> we should we should. <laughs> okay. Well, you look after yourself. Don't drown in the floods. Well, um, I'm I'm actually dry. between in Melbourne. I'm between two flooded areas, but yeah, high no. and dry, high and dry. And there's a yeah. river in Brunswick too, isn't there? 
there's a very large creek that is now a river. Okay. <laughs> but <laughs> the, the the river that's causing all the trouble is the Maribyrnong River, which is um, uh, slightly west of me. But I'm safe from that. Oh, well, good luck. And I um, hope one down your way is keeping safe. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Please visit alwaysauthors.com to learn about upcoming episodes, to read a transcript of this episode, to buy the books discussed here, and for more information about our sponsors, bookfinity.com and Buxton Books. Always Authors is an exclusive production of Atomic Focus Entertainment. Cheers.